All right. Well, as we um, get a quick wardrobe change in, um, I want to say, if it's your first time here, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Our hope is that uh, today will be a day that is um, refreshing to you, perhaps uh, caffeinating to you. Um, We've got a lot of stuff. We've got some t-shirts for you and some stuff that we would love to give you on your way out. But we are traveling through the book of Galatians. In fact, if this is your first time here, this is actually a really good Sunday um, because Paul, as he's talking in the book of Galatians, kind of changes a bit of a direction. Um, To understand, again, the direction that he's going in is to understand the direction that he's been in. When they started in the book of Galatians, as Paul started to write this, the idea was that all of us have experienced um, religion. All of us from different backgrounds, from various walks of life, have experienced a religion that basically says, in order to be in God's good graces, um, you have to believe and behave. That we have to earn our way, essentially, through belief and behavior. And if we don't believe right or if we don't behave right, then we aren't right with God. And so when Paul stepped on the scene, in fact, actually, when Jesus stepped on the scene, Paul would then go back and illuminate and say, hey, there is a new deal between God and people, and it is no longer a deal that's defined by belief in behavior, that it is, in fact, just belief. And based on your belief, based on our understanding that we are all sinful, and our understanding that God saw our sin and gave his son for us, um, we're going to talk about the confines of that a little bit, but as he gave his son for us, then we actually are free. And it's an interesting thought when it comes to religion, freedom. Um, free at last is the name of this, this last couple chapters of it. But as Paul talks about this, the idea of free at last is, if you're a Christian, how you know you're tracking with the will of God, how you know you're tracking with the thoughts of God, is that you feel a sense of freedom in your relationship with Jesus. In your religiousness, you feel free. Now, the significance of that is huge, because here's how most of us think In fact, this is how many of us, when we first started talking about God or hearing about God, depending on if you were raised in a really traditional or really untraditional background, in fact, perhaps no Jesus background, no faith, no church background at all, religion is oftentimes presented as a moral framework. You behave right. You do the right stuff. And it can feel like this oppressive idea of perfectionism, of moralism. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. You and I have sinned. And that's not like a, you know, you terrible person, how in the world could you? That's like all of us have a central problem that in all of our goodness, we can be good people, we can be moral moral people, but in all of our goodness still have messed up. We've still fallen short of the glory of God. And God in his perfection, as good as we can get, we still have some bad inside of us, Christian or non. Person who's dedicated their life to Jesus or person who's just trying to figure the whole thing out. And the deal is, is that as Jesus stepped on the scene, He died so that we could be made right with God, that we aren't simply forgiven. It's not that God just looks at it and says, you know what, you're a pretty bad person that I'll put up with. You're a pretty bad person, I guess I'll forgive you. God actually sees us as free and innocent people. In fact, this is how he would say it. It's justification through faith. In other words, our faith is a thing that not just simply proclaims us as forgiven, it actually proclaims us as innocent and free. Now, I don't know your experience with the law, but this is, a, this is a pretty different dynamic than if you've ever had any runs with the law. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, perhaps a little bit too much uh, sharing, but hey, what the heck. Just us. We're family, right? Um, so not too long ago, I, uh, I got pulled over. Uh, I know I'm a, I'm a pastor, and you know, I was, obviously I was obeying the speed limit. It wasn't my fault. It was the police officer's fault. Um, 
and, and you might not know this, and I did not know this, but now I do know this, so this might be honestly the best part about Sunday for you. If your license tag is over six months exp- expired, um, that's, a, that's a misdemeanor, okay? And you can get arrested. Now, I found that out, okay? Because my license was about six months and four days, and I'm driving, thank God for kids, because I was driving my kids to preschool. I was driving through a neighborhood, and a police you know, pulls me over, police officer pulls me over, and I'm thinking, what the heck am I getting pulled over for? First off, I'm, I'm in a Prius. You know, like, if there's, if there's a, don't judge me, I drive a lot for my work, okay? Not church work. Anyways, whole different, different side of the story. But I'm driving in a Prius, I'm like, man, she couldn't be intimidated by my V4. You know, that's just, that's just ridiculous. So I get pulled over, and, um, and I go into, uh, the, you know, she starts telling me that, you know, this, this is a misdemeanor, I could arrest you right now. I'm like, well, good thing I got kids, because I don't want that to happen. Um, which I think she saw my kids and decided not to put me in handcuffs. But she says, here's going to be your court date. It's going to be November 30th. So this, by the way, a lot of times the pastors tell stories. It's like, yeah, you know, when I was a sinner. I'm like, no, when I was your pastor, I just didn't tell you, okay? Because I didn't know what was going to go down. So, so November 30th, I'm at the courthouse, right? This, this is not a joke. It's not like a pastor story. Oh, it's going to drive home a spiritual point. I am, but it's also true. So I go to the courthouse, and as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I wait, and, and they send me a letter and say, if you go in and you go early and you, you know, pay a bunch of money and do some community service, which I'm like, good, I got a church I can do community service through. In fact, I can just sign my own paper. Anyway, side note. So I'm thinking, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I walk into this place, and and it's justice. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. You have broken the law. You can be as rich as you want. You can be as poor as you want. You can be as spiritual as you want. You can be as unspiritual as you want. You can be as good as you want in every other area of life. But if you have broken the law and you have been caught, you are now accountable to what the law requires of you. And so they put me in this diversion program, and now i got to go and do community service and pay a little bit more money, which, by the way, we're going to have prayer at the end of the service. If you have something on your record... Ask Devin for prayer. Okay, don't, meet, don't, don't do it with me because right now I'm on parole and I can't do that. So, just telling you. Welcome to church, people. Um, but here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. In the legal system, you can be as good as you want in every other area, but if you have broken the law and you get caught, you are still accountable. I am still accountable for my transgressions, for my law-breaking infractions. And the same thing happens with God. That as we look at God, we see him in his holiness and his perfection. And we can't possibly live up to that level of perfection. We are all lawbreakers. And God saw that and did not hold that against us. But God sent his son into the world to proclaim extraordinary teachings, to do some wild miracles, and to eventually die on the cross. And on the cross, took the punishment, went to the courthouse for us, paid the fine for us, took the judgment that we should have faced, that we are not simply forgiven, we are innocent. And Paul would say, and in doing that, set you free from the moral framework that required perfection. That it's no longer about being perfect. It's no longer, in fact, about being one. In fact, in in verse 6 of chapter 5, he says this. He says, you know, essentially morality or immorality doesn't matter. The only thing that matters at this point is your faith and how it expresses itself through love. Now, as we go into what Paul's going to talk about, for the first four and a half chapters, he dealt with the legalist. He dealt with the person that over and over and over and over said, behavior, 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 behavior. Got to behave your way, and Paul says, absolutely not. The last chapter and a half that we're going to start on today, he launches into this idea 
If it's not about behaviorism anymore, if it's not about morality anymore, then aren't we free to do whatever we want, whenever we want, with whomever we want, and no morality is relevant? Because I am... Can't we take our freedom and use it and take it for granted? So Paul's going to begin to answer that question in the next couple of verses. So if you've got your Bible, you can open up to chapter 5, verse 13. This is what he says. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He says, okay, so you're free. No, Christians, you're free to do whatever you want. That God no longer looks at you and you went to church so much and God says, oh my gosh, I'm so happy with you now. You just moraled your way so much. God says, oh, I'm so happy with you now. You didn't go to church enough. God says, I'm so disappointed. You didn't moral yourself. And God says, I'm so disappointed with you. No, no matter what you do, our relationship and standing with God is now based off of Jesus, not ourself. And it's our faith that puts us in a right standing with God. But Paul says, and when you grasp that freedom, here's what I want you to not do. Do not use that freedom that you now have. To gratify the nature, your own fleshly, your own sinful, in fact, your own selfish desires. Here's what I want you to do instead. But through love, I want you to serve one another. This is the part that he talked about in verse 6 where he says, And the only thing that now matters is faith expressing itself or working itself through love. He says, so I want you to do this. I want you to go and realize That God has so loved you. God has so generously given to you. God has served you in providing you a way outside of moralism and perfectionism. And when you realize that, that ought to draw up inside of you a love for other people. That you would serve other people, not just to satisfy yourself. Continues. That you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, this is, this, this is a fascinating verse. Let me, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is that if you're a Christian, and you are living under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you will never feel a desire to sin anymore. For some of us, we take verses where Jesus talked, stuff like where he said, you know, Ask for anything in my name and I will give it to you and I will give you the desires of your heart. We say, okay, sometimes that means he's going to give us what our hearts desire and sometimes he's going to put those desires in our heart. And that is true. But that doesn't mean there aren't simultaneous competing desires that exist within us. And here's why that's so important. Some of us perhaps walked in this morning feeling defeated because as much as we've grown, as much as we've walked, as much as we have started to live a life proclaiming Jesus and trusting in Jesus for our salvation and for our sanctification, you still feel a temptation to sin. Let me just tell you, that is absolutely normal. Everybody experiences that. It would be both to deny reality and to be disingenuous to say there isn't something inside of each one of us, no matter if you have just started walking with Jesus yesterday or two minutes ago to 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50, there is still a fleshly desire. He says, but when you're walking by the Spirit, you are going to be more inclined to, in fact, you're going to want to push all those natural, selfish desires away. He says, hold on, let me explain a little bit more how this dynamic works in the next couple verses. 
He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. In other words, there's a competition that's happening. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now, most of this keeping you from doing the things that you want to do is keeping the fleshly, but it's interesting. And this is, this, this is the dichotomy that most of us are living in. That we want to do some flesh, fleshly things. We want to do some spiritual things. And we have too many wants that we can't really live because we're not living towards either one enough. And here's what I mean by that. For some of us, we're too spiritual to be completely living for ourselves. And so you're miserable when you do, but you're not living enough for Jesus. There's too much sin that's just retaining in your life to make you happy. And you're miserable because you're in the middle. Paul says there's a competition that's happening and that's warring inside of you. In other words, when you feel that, when you feel that I know I ought to, I know I ought to, but this just part of me just wants to go back to it, or I know I shouldn't, I know I know I should, and I know I shouldn't, but there's some part of me that wants it, whatever that it is for you, it could be relational, it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be, I mean, there's so many applications. Paul says when you feel that, I want you to know there is a competition that's happening, that's warring inside of you for your affection. And so here's what you should do with that. But if you are led by the Spirit, by the way, you are not under the law. Now, he kind of wants to clarify here and says, let me just tell you, I'm about to give you a list. I'm about to give you a list of things that are in competition that you're going to feel as internal desires and, and external actions. But I want you to know, this again does not have to do with your standing with God. This has to do with you living into holiness. It says, now the works of the, of the flesh are evident, which I like because none of us really need like a list. <laughs> in fact, you could give me a list, right? You could say, well, let me tell you what my works of the flesh are. Now, he's going to talk about some stuff that are specific to the Galatians. Some of them we identify with, some of them we don't identify with. We could make up our own list of the things that we feel as these selfish desires that we have. So he says, Galatians, let me tell you your list. Now, the, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which we kind of get to and we're like, woo, don't, don't have that one, okay? So I'm not like stirring and stirring my, stirring my brew and on a Ouija board, so okay, so I'm, I'm pretty holy. Um, enmity, which I'm like, I don't even know what that is, so okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say not me. Um, strife. Jealousy, fits of rage, fits of anger. You're like, that's not me, but I got a roommate who's, who fits of anger, absolutely. I got a spouse, I got a coworker, I got my boss, good grief. You know, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, all of the like, I get, and these like things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not, in, in such weighty words, inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's what I love about how Paul parlays these two ideas together. Because as soon as we go towards this list, we get this idea of moralism in our mind. I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't do that. Whether your list is the exact same or it's completely different. We know it's, it's, it's self-evident. It's obvious. He says, but let me make a connection for you. Or I would say, but let me make a connection for you. A couple of verses ago, he said all of the law and all of the prophets are summed up in this one idea. In other words, any sense of morality is, I could sum up by saying this, love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the big idea. Your personal holiness as a Christian, my personal holiness as a Christian is evident in the way I love other people. In other words, 
when I look at these things, when I look at my sinful, when I look at my, my, my temporal, when I look at my selfish, when I look at my fleshly desires, here's what I oftentimes think. Well, that's just me, and that doesn't affect other people. Let me just tell you. One of the most practical ways you can love your neighbor is not simply to be nice to him when you don't feel like being nice. That's how we define love oftentimes. I'm going to be nice to you when I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to be nice to you when I haven't had enough coffee. I'm going to be nice to you when you do something mean to me. I'm just going to be a nice person. And that's, that, that's great. But the most loving thing that you can do for a broken world is offer your personal holiness. That is a tangible expression of love. We think that's disassociated from loving other people. Well, that's me. That's my personal holiness. That's not other people. I'm still going to be a nice person. I'm still going to be a loving person. I'm still going to be a sacrificial. I'm still going to serve. I'm still going to be generous. And Paul says, no. When you do that, you've got to realize there are things that happen from inside of you. There are things that happen in your heart that make you unloving. And he continues and he says, now let me contrast this with some fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits, plural, but these are a bunch of different ways to describe what happens in the life of a Christian. This is a, these are a bunch of different ways to describe a fruit in the same way that you could describe an apple in a bunch of different ways. You know, it's, it's you know, sweet, it's red, it's, you know, mushy if you let it go too long. It's got a little stem coming out of it. it says, these are all different attributes of the fruit of God in your life. They don't happen automatically, but there is a process to which it grows. In other words, there should be concurrent growth in all of these in our lives if the gospel has taken root in our hearts. This is what he says is the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, self-control. And against such thing, there is no law. Now, when he says this, there is so much gravity as he and in a string of thought says love your neighbor and be defined by holiness love your neighbor that if you're if you're loving your neighbor this these are the things that should describe you this should, these are these are the, the desires of the of the spiritual nature these are the desires of the influence of the holy spirit that you would be more loving joyful your love joy your peace you have a peace amidst whatever's going on in life you're patient it's love joy peace patience it's kindness it's goodness, it's faithfulness in a world where people and the world describes to us only be faithful to anything and anybody who is faithful to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's gentleness, even on social media. And it's self-control. And we view our personal holiness again as if, it's, as if it's an autonomous entity that doesn't intersect with our lives as they relate to other people. Let me, let me just ask you, people who are married in the room, people who want to be married in the room, which, which list would you like to describe your spouse as? If you're thinking of your dream husband, your dream wife, which, you know, obviously for me, this, you know, the fruit of the Spirit perfectly describes my wife, and, you know, the other side of it is who would want a husband or a wife 
Who would want a best friend? Who would want a boss that the first list describes? But when we think about that first list, when we think about the, the works of the flesh, we think it just has to do again with us. And Paul says, no, no, no. If you are living under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit, there is a competition for your heart's adoration, for your affection, and for your action. And this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is how you know. And these are the flesh. And again, we all have our own thoughts and our own ideas. But don't you dare think that your holiness, your personal holiness, is separate from the love that you display for other people. But if you're here, on the periphery of Christianity, not really sure what you, where you are, not really sure what you believe. Maybe it's interesting to you. Maybe somebody just invited you today. But you're just wrestling with this whole idea of God and religion and faith. Isn't this true? That perhaps you would be more open to God if you saw Christians who actually lived the second list more than the first list. You've probably heard, had person after person after person who you knew went to church who described themselves as a Christian. But they weren't loving There was no joy. They were angry. They were bitter. There's no peace. There's no patience. There's no kindness. I mean, come on. They were the most judgmental people. If you didn't believe exactly what they believed, in fact, if you didn't believe exactly what we believe in our current, you know, corner of belief, that if you believe a little bit different thing of what the Scripture said than what we believe what the Scriptures say, but we're still under the umbrellas of Christ, we don't even want to associate with each other in churches. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says, come on, against all of this, there is no law. He continues with the implications of it. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I'm sorry, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, those things were put to death on the cross, so don't return to them. Those are the things that, you, that enslaved you in the first place. Don't return to them. Because if we live by the Spirit, we will keep in step with the Spirit, verse 26. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Brothers, verse, chapter 6, verse 1. If anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself that you won't be tempted. Verse 2. And bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I love how he gives this practical application at the end. He said, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to bear one another's burdens. The power of that is that for many of us, we live in isolation. We live as if, as Christians, our sin exists in autonomy and no one knows it, no one sees it, and we can handle it ourselves. Some of us have faced the same cyclical pattern of sin for the last several months, for the last several years, perhaps for you for the last several decades. It's happened in isolation. No one knows about it. You can hide it and you think it's not coming out. Let me tell you, it is. Paul said, and you weren't meant to live in holiness, in isolation. You were called to bear one another's burdens You were called to live in transparency. You were called to have the courage to live in vulnerable transparency in community. Let me tell you, one of the hallmarks of holiness is transparency. 
You find someone who lives in holiness, and you will find someone who lives in transparency. You will find someone who admits to their sin. You will find someone who is not judgmental of other people because they know that they are sinful too, and other people know it. I can project like I'm really holy if nobody else knows about my sin, but as soon as other people know what's going on with the junk in my life, it eradicates judgmentalism, self-righteousness. Because we've all got sin. So Paul says, come on. The whole law of Christ is summed up in this. Bear one another's burdens. Don't live in isolation. Let me just ask this. To string this whole thing along, how much more holy would the church be? How much more holy would we be? How much different would our communities be if we were transparent, if we carried each other's burdens, and in doing that, were compelled to holiness? How much more loving would we be? How much more caring would we be? How much more selfless would we be? How much more would we serve as Christians? I mean, come on. If you're in here, you're not a Christian. Isn't this why you don't like church in the first place? And you're saying this, sitting there thinking, thank God a pastor finally said it. If they did this, maybe I'd listen. If they live like this, maybe I'd be a part of it. But there's just such this disingenuous projection of holiness. Come on. Wouldn't we rather be holy than project holy? Wouldn't we rather live and step with the Spirit than fake spirituality? Paul says, come on, live in transparency. Live in community. Live in a place of vulnerability. Take your sin seriously. And don't you dare think that though it might be internal, It doesn't directly impact how you love one another. Be compelled. Not because you have to. Not because if you don't live in transparency, God's God's going to be mad at you. But because God has forgiven you. God knows what happened. God knows what you did. God knows what you're going to do that you don't even know that you're going to do. God knows that you're going to start a church and someday you're almost going to get arrested. You're going to have to go to court and you're not going to tell anybody about it except for your wife because you're like, don't tell my parents. You know, I mean, I'm 34, but don't tell my parents. You know, that's going to be a bad situation. I told him my dad laughed. My stomach was like, oh my gosh, we need to, you know, say, 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 say a prayer, you know. Live in transparency. How much more loving, how much more kind, how much more joyful, how much more peace, how much more patience would we have? Goodness, faithfulness we have. If we, self-control, hello, would we have? And if you're in here, you're not a Christian, how much more open to God would you be if Christians actually lived it? Let me tell you my prayer for you. I hope, similar to some of the stories we heard in Baptism Day, that you meet somebody. Everybody's story starts with somebody. I hope that you meet somebody that though they're not perfect, Though they aren't perfection, don't claim to be. They have this sense of freedom. They don't feel the weight of morality. But they said, you, you don't know how to describe it, maybe you never said it in these words, but you feel the sense that when you're around them, there is this freedom, there is this security inside of them that they actually want to live like God. They actually want to be more holy, and they know that they're not perfect, and they don't make you feel bad because you're not perfect either.
But there's this hope. There's this joy. There's this love. There's this peace. There's this patience. There's this kindness. There's this goodness. There's this faithfulness that you don't know how to describe it, but it's just for some reason is magnetic to you. I hope that you meet somebody that's a Christian who lives like that. And that you perhaps, in all of your cynicism, which is reasonable, in all of your you know, doubts, which are all probably extraordinarily reasonable, in all of your experiences that have been so difficult, which I'm sure you've got plenty, maybe you meet somebody and that changes the game. Because everybody's story starts with a somebody. If you're, if you're not a Christian, I don't know, or you are a Christian, I'm sorry. I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your holiness, we all have different things. We all have different lists. Here's, here's my hope. That you wouldn't feel a sense that you have to prove to God, but you would feel a freedom to pursue God, that you would take your sin seriously, that you would live in transparency, and that God would set you free. Because let me just tell you, the, the other side of this is when we live in habitual sin, we all of a sudden feel enslaved to the sin that we have been set free from. And I pray that you find freedom as you live in transparency. Pray that you find freedom as you go towards holiness, even though there will always be a competing desire inside of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your word is so clear and so true. God, I pray for everyone in here who is a follower of yours, who has given their hope their life are justified through the faith that they have in you, Jesus. In their inability, Jesus, your ability to save us, to set us free. Would you help us to walk in that freedom? Not gratifying the fleshly, sinful, selfish nature, but walking in step with the Spirit. And Jesus, as we do that, would you please help us to have the courage to take our sins seriously, to do whatever it takes to live in transparency, to live in vulnerability, to have perhaps really difficult, really intimidating conversations with our friends, with our, with our accountability partner, with someone in our community group, with a, with a, uh, a spouse, with a uh, best friend, a roommate, God, whoever it is, a mentor, would you please help us to live in holiness that people would see you because we know our holiness, our personal holiness is tied to the way that we love other people. And I pray for every man and woman in this room who is wrestling with you, Jesus. They would meet somebody who embodies freedom and holiness. Not perfection, but freedom and holiness. And perhaps they would be more open to you, Jesus the one who so loved us, you saw our insufficiencies, our sin, and our separation. God, you sent your son to die, to take that, that we can have ultimate love, ultimate grace, ultimate freedom, ultimate acceptance, that we can have eternity with you, we can have salvation in a relationship with you, our heavenly Father. And I pray that that would happen as they meet somebody Christian who walks in freedom and holiness, and they love the people around them because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.